welcome to Not Just Rainbows and Unicorns, a podcast made with love in Kalamazoo, Michigan by Nicole and Michael Van Putten. We take topics we find interesting and we research them online. Then we get together each week and we talk about them. You can visit us online at notjustrainbows.net. There you can view show notes, add your comments, or send us suggestions for future episodes. Happy podcast day, Nicole. Hello. So what have you been up to so far today? Ooh, um, let's see. Laundry, made coffee, fed the dogs, uh, yeah, just the normal stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Did all the stuff. Did all of that stuff. Got that stuff done. Yep. You're the, you're the stuff or doer Yep. Got it done. Got it done. Boom, shakalaka. Productivity. Yep. Do you use any kind of like task app, to-do list software to stay so organized? Mm, no. I use the notepad. Is that what it's called? It's called notes in my phone. And I always have a to-do list going. And then I cross it off. I use the strike-through font because it makes me feel... Boom. productive that I get got done I right. like it sometimes I write stuff down that I've already done and just strike through font it <laughs> I I just I somehow knew that there had to be some kind of magical process that you use yeah there's a lot of stuff to do every day so if I don't write it down I'll forget something and then that's bad I I am the same way. We have some very sophisticated software that we use at work called Asana. Have you ever heard of that? Well, I've heard you talk about it, but I've never heard about it as in, hey, I think I should start using Asana. <laughs> no. Well, you know you can. They have free plans where you can sign up. It's, um, I don't know, it's it's interesting software. There's been a lot of different approaches for how to stay organized and get things done. Um, I know that we use the, the notes application that came with our phones is surprisingly agile and flexible. Like it's not just a notepad. The fact that you can do a task list with it, the fact that it syncs to the cloud, the fact that you can share it with other people. I mean, some of these are basic features nowadays with any online document program, but it does quite a bit for a simple little app that's free on the phone that we didn't pay anything for. Yeah, I use it for everything. I really do. I've been using it for a long time. Do you put pictures in it? Hmm. No. Well, some, I, sometimes I add, hmm, no, nope, I don't. Sometimes if I need to add, um, notes for uh to remember things i'll put uh links lots of links but usually i don't put a photo inside of the notes do you um use anything special for bookmarks or do you put uh like bookmarks to websites in your notes as well i well that's the links is a bookmark to a uh. website um i'm i know i'm supposed to use a a link manager that you told me to use but <laughs> i have a problem because i always forget to use it like you told me to use it one time when we lost internet and you're like oh you should use this blah 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 and i started to use it but then 
I stopped using it because I forgot. And yes. then, yeah, I should probably use it. It's really hard should. to adapt to new software. Like when somebody says, hey, try this new thing. I, I used to try every single app that I saw, that I came across, that people recommended. And I... I can't keep up with it anymore I, or I choose to spend my time doing other things. I still check out tons of different applications, but I don't know. Do you find that hard to switch up? I mean, you're usually the person telling people to do the switching because you found something really good. Yeah, that is true. I do tell people to try new things, but I'm only trying to make their life better. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You, you could try the opposite of that. Make suggestions that are designed to make people's life more difficult. Yeah. Then no one would listen to Passive me, aggressive suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what an example of that would be of, hey, here, here's a tip you should try. And I, like, I wonder, because people are so used to you giving them good tips, I wonder how long they would stick with it before they thought, this isn't easier. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. But people don't. I mean, I give a lot of advice, but I don't know if people really accept the advice into their life until people, until they're absolutely desperate. And then they're like, all right, fine. I'll just try what she said and see if it works. I think and a then lot of people it, ignore your advice. Right. And they accept it if it's offered through a proxy. Yeah, through somebody else. Right. They they accept it when someone else says it. And then, yeah, when I say it, it's kind of just background noise. But when someone else says it, it's just, you know, the best advice they've ever heard in their entire life. One thing that I read in a book recently was something like the, the eyes can't see what the brain doesn't know. It's like some famous quote from like, a poet or a writer in the past. It's been used in a lot of different cases, but I've been thinking about that in the context of people trying to do new things. So like if, if we tell somebody, Hey, do this, try it and everything else that in and of itself is probably not enough to get them to actually try it. Like if, if we show it to them, they might start to do it, but it's almost like you have to follow up with them lots of times to get them accustomed to using it. I've, I've seen this in onboarding new team members in previous jobs before. Um, I'm, I'm aware of it, but I don't really think about it as much when I'm trying to learn new things myself. I kind of just want it to work immediately right away with the first time I use it and for it to make sense, which I guess is not unique to me in any way. I don't know. If I have a problem and someone offers a solution, I am willing to try their solution. I don't know. I if I, I don't understand people's hesitancy to to try new things because if someone comes to me and says I can solve your problem, I'm like, give it to me, show me the way. I will pick up what you are putting down. <laughs> Love that phrase. Yeah, but I, I don't. I don't know. People are weird. People are weird. That is. Uh... They're a little stubborn. Yeah. Stuck in their ways. That's a truism. Oh, well. What are you going to do? Talk about it on a podcast. Yep. <laughs> yep. So what do you have on your fabulous list for us to talk about today? I don't know. Yeah? Yeah. I'm reading the list. I see a couple things on it. Okay. 
I'll, I'll remind you what they are. Here, here we go. <laughs> the first thing on the list is Wilhelmina fiber experiment. Yeah, because we haven't talked about this in 10 and a half seconds in our house. FYI, we have dogs. Shocker, one of those dogs has stomach issues that we've been trying to figure out. And Nicole has been channeling like her inner beautiful mind, uh, code cracker. Uh, I, uh, yeah, you know that meme where the, is, I think it's a guy, maybe it's a woman. I don't know. This is how much I actually look at the person in pictures and videos, but they have all these math equations floating around their head. Yes. That is what I feel like every day when I wake up. Is that like based on the show numbers or the closer or something like that? I don't know. I have no idea. Do you have a yarn wall about the Wilhelmina fiber I pretty much do because I have a notepad. (laughs) I've got a yarn wall. I have a notepad. I've got the the um, dry erase board on the side of our refrigerator. I have a dry erase board in our office. I, I, they're everywhere. I have so many statistics. I don't remember when exactly a yarn well became a metaphor for us for that concept. We ha- we've watched so many true crime shows and people trying to figure out the mystery and it always involves some kind of cork board or wall where they have pins and yarns connecting all of the details. It's become my life, this whole cure, not cure, but solve this issue of Wilhelmina's colitis, IBD, and her inability to absorb nutrients issue. It's, it has become my goal. If I can solve this, I will... I don't know what I'm going to do. I have felt at times that what I need to do is with one of my little music apps, I need to sample some of the music from like CSI or other shows because you come like when you've figured out something new or you've got a new hypothesis, (laughs) you come like in and you've got like the energy that they have on these shows. So I kind of want to be like, yeah, Nicole's like the new solution is. Silly musk. Well, it's not really a solution. It's just a another step in the process. So what we're doing right now is we have taken her off all prescription medication because she was on antibiotics, a antibiotic called um, oh, Flagyl, which is, uh, I, I don't know, there's another name for it. I'll remember it give me a couple minutes. It's called flagell. And she was taking it every day. And it can be dangerous to give it to your animal every day, but it also can be helpful. Some veterinarians prescribe it as a course, meaning you take it for a week, two weeks at a time. And our vet is so desperate to help us. She's like, let's try it for an extended period of time because she honestly is at the same point we're at where she doesn't know what to do with Wilhelmina because she's never experienced this before with a dog. It's just insane. So we're, we were trying a long course of the antibiotic, but I did some research and it can be dangerous for dogs. It can have neurological side effects. It can have side effects gastrointestinally, ironically it can. So I took her off the antibiotics, no more. And she's also on a prescription dog food, which 
has chicken in it, which we think she is intolerant to. It has rice in it, which we know she's intolerant to. The problem is, is this food also is very high fiber and very low fat, which I know she needs. She needs a lot of fiber and she needs very low fat food. We tried to switch her over to a a regular dog food that like Clem eats, which is normal fiber, normal fat, just normal. I'm a regular dog, four legs. I eat food. That did not go well. That went very, very badly. So I did a lot of research and there are dogs who have the same issue that Wilhelmina does. You mean it's not unique to her? Well, it is not unique to her, but it is not normal in dogs. It's it's abnormal, but it's not like she's the only dog on earth with this issue. What they did is they did a study in dogs with, and sorry, this is going to get very personal for Wilhelmina, who does Warning, not care at sensitive all. sensitive viewers, the following content may have something to do with dog internal digestion and outcomes. Yeah. Be so revised. it's called large bowel diarrhea. And for dogs with this, they did a study where they added more fiber and they had a a form of probiotic prebiotic in their diet. So we're trying this for Wilhelmina. The form of fiber that they added was psyllium husk which is super cheap and super easy. I use psyllium husk when I bake all the time. It's a it's a form of binder, like a, a thickener that you can use when you do gluten-free and ketogenic cooking. You get it in a big bag. It's really, really easy. And thankfully, it tastes like a, let's see, it has a nutty flavor to it. Mm. Wilhelmina thinks it's fantastic. She, like, thinks it's the best thing in the world. She'll eat it plain. That's a good thing. because yeah. yeah, yeah, she likes it. The problem is I have no idea how much to add to her food. No clue. Because she's eating this prescription food that has a very high amount of fiber. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I am not doing this, like, as a medical professional. I'm doing this as me, a person who... Has a cold n- professional. Yeah, who has no medical training. I'm not a doctor. I just play a doctor slash veterinarian in our you house. just watched a lot of TV series with doctors in them. Exactly. Yeah. So every morning I wake up and I think, okay, how much fiber am I going to add to Wilhelmina's food today? <laughs> and I just, I wing it. I write it down. And we chart Wilhelmina's poo. <laughs> now, part of with how you're setting this up, this is not a complete, like, go in blind, try stuff out. You've actually done some research and you're following some protocols that you found online. Right. And there were studies done. And you know that these types of adjustments, you have to change one thing at a time and it takes a long time to figure out. So it's just... Give yourself some props that you've, you're not just like, hey, I found this bag in the street and I just kind of, you know, take two scoops a day. You're, you're like, you have a plan that you're following based on things that you read. Yes. There were studies done on both regular dogs, like household pets and police dogs, because obviously you don't want a police dog who has 
horrible diarrhea, that would be... That would be a problem if you had to pull over for the canine car every 15 minutes. Yeah. So I read the studies. I looked into what they did to solve the problems and... But hold up. Is, Is that common in police dogs? Well, I don't know. It's just they studied police dogs because I'm guessing... When you have a police dog with this issue, you really want to solve this issue really badly. And because if it's like Wilhelmina, you struggle to solve it because it is a problem that's really, really hard to solve. I mean, like, look at us. It has taken us years, not months, not weeks, but years to figure this out. And we still haven't figured it out. So, yeah, we've spent years trying to figure it out. Exactly. So... In police dogs, this has got to be an issue that someone said, all right, look, we can't do this for years. We've, we've got to shorten the, the length of time because I'm certain if a police dog has this problem and it goes on for longer than a few months, the police dog is no longer a police dog. The police dog becomes a, a pet. So, yeah, because you can't have a police dog with this issue. You, can, you just can't. So I looked into the studies And I'm just kind of recreating the studies in our house, essentially. The problem is, is that they don't say in the studies, okay, we gave the dog this much fiber and this much probiotic and prebiotic, and we fed the dog this kind of food. They just say, we gave the dog fiber, we gave the dog food. So I have to figure that out by myself. Yeah. That's where we're at. Interesting. And you're going to have links to the studies in the, the show notes, but like the police yeah. dog study, they tried some interventions and found that the, it resulted in really good results in half of the dogs, 40% good results and only poor results in 10% of the cases. And the main thing that they did was use psyllium husk, um, and that's the, the nice, nutty-tasting stuff that you described that Mina likes so much. Yes, yeah. You know, just a thought. One thing that you could do if they don't uh, list in the study exactly how much they use, you could write an email to the researchers. They usually are really nice about helping with stuff like that. I've considered contacting the researchers who did the study with the, the regular dogs, not the police dogs, but just the... The, the normal live-in-a-house pet-type dogs because they had a bigger uh, bigger number of dogs and they had a more uh, a better success rate. And they also, I think, fed the dogs a specific probiotic, prebiotic, and a specific food. And there are mixed reviews on this food, but they chose this food for a specific reason. They also chose the probiotic for a specific reason. And this food is a very, I don't want to say special, but it's different because it has one protein and it also has fish oil added in. I don't know if that made a difference or not, but I know that Wilhelmina does better when she has a food that only has one protein. So I might look into that. Hmm. I don't know. But it's like you said, we change one thing at a time. We wait And then we go from there. We don't change like three things at the same time. 
wait four hours and then change another thing. Though we do have a team now of veterinarians who are helping. We have our regular traveling vet whom we love, and we also have a vet who a uh, colleague recommended to us who has some experience in homeopathic we holistic do. treatments for we, As much as I don't like homeopathic medication and homeopathic ideas, we do have, we do, we are utilizing a homeopathic vet and he is helping us out. Um, I did talk to him about the psyllium husk and he agreed that that was the best course of action. Um, he, he said that he recommends it pretty often for some of his clients. So I'm going to keep using it. You say that you don't like homeopathic stuff typically is that because you've tried it and did not have success or are you just like I don't like that branch of thought no because I think that a lot of times homeopathic doctors will push herbs and supplements on their patients and these are people who are legitimately sick these are cancer patients these are people who actually need real medicine Sometimes medicine is really the best medicine. And unfortunately, homeopathic doctors who are not doctors, I should say homeopathic practitioners, will sometimes not see that real medicine is legitimately needed. The homeopathic doctor and he is a legitimate veterinarian he actually does practice real medicine he did go to vet school he does both and this is something I really like about him is he understands when real medicine is actually needed when I texted him and said that you know Wilhelmina has gotten worse he did ask me he said oh flagell is also known as metronidazole I told you I'd remember um, he, he asked me, he said, do you have any metronidazole? It could be that she needs a short course of that. He knows when real medicine needs to be used. He's not all about just herbs and, you know, special potions. He understands that sometimes medicine is really the best medicine. I've, I've heard that concept before, I think. Yeah. Hmm. Go figure. Yeah. So, well, do we want to talk about chayote squash next? Um, well, there's really not a lot to talk about except for I wanted to make chayote squash crumble and we can't because they didn't have any in stock. And why do we like chayote squash? It's a squash that you can use in place of apples when you're a ketogenic eater. And so we really like them. That is why we like them. <laughs> like at a high level, it's it's a really healthy type of squash, right? It has it has a combination of fiber and vitamins and minerals that are essential to a healthy diet. Like you can get seven uh, percent of your regular potassium that you need per day from a serving of chayote squash. I did not know that. I mean, most squash is pretty helpful, healthy for you. I didn't know that it was like super super squash or something it has a really good level of vitamin C in it. So you get about a quarter of what you need a day for that. You get almost 50% of your vitamin B9 folate that you need. 
I don't always know what all of these things mean, but they sound yeah. interesting. It's real, it has a potent antioxidants as well, evidently. I can tell you this. If you do try the chayote squash, please follow the directions and do not touch them with your bare hands after you peel them because a lot of people, actually most everyone, is intolerant to their, like the, I don't know if it's their, an enzyme in them or something, but you will, it's not a rash, but your skin will peel. It's really annoying. So just wear gloves. It's not a big deal. Just wear gloves. My mom did not believe me the first time she cooked with them and she just went ahead and did all the touchy touchy with them and her skin peeled right off. It's not like her skin peeled off like, oh no, no flesh, but it's just your skin peels like the base layer of your skin peels. It's just super annoying. So the recipes will all say wear gloves, just wear gloves. Follow the directions. Yeah. What a novel concept. Yep. Just follow the directions. It's no big deal. I think my mom probably just forgot is all. Yeah, just wear gloves. No big deal. So next up, we have some really fun kind of science stuff that you came across this week. Well, kind of. So the reason why I saw this was because I got my first bill for my MRI and it was $400 which, you know, MRIs are expensive, so it is what it is. I've had a lot of MRIs lately. So the MRI was $400, and I was looking online on TikTok, and I saw this TikTok of this guy, and he said, if you're having a bad day, here are a bunch of fruits and vegetables inside an MRI machine. And my first thought was, Huh. I wonder how much that piece of corn paid for its MRI. <laughs> I just paid $400 to have my brain MRI'd. That corn had to pay an ear. Yeah, that's interesting. That is kind of annoying that they're MRIing fruits and vegetables and I had to just pay a ton of money to have my brain MRI'd. You think they should have paid $400 per vegetable scanned? Well, Before I got super duper outraged, which I was on the verge of being super duper outraged, I looked it up and the Boston University Medical School had this new MRI machine. And before they started shoving human beings in it, they instead put fruits and vegetables inside of it to make sure that it wasn't going to blow human beings up, which, you know, was very nice of them to do. So this technician, Andy Ellison, made a blog. And it's not a very big blog because obviously once they knew that the MRI machine was safe, they didn't need to put any more in it. When they need to calibrate it, they do use some fruit and they put it inside the CT or the MRI But it's not as though they were doing it just for fun. They did it very specific time, place, for a very specific reason. So he has a actual blog called Inside Insides, and it's kind of neat. So 
I was very angry for about five minutes until I figured out what was going on. But the thing is, is then I googled CT scans of fruits and I saw this, all these CT scans of peaches. So in Pennsylvania, they are monitoring the internal quality and changes of peaches to determine when peaches are ripe by taking CT scans of peaches. Hmm. And the reason this is so irritating to me is because there are people who cannot afford to have CT scans or who are paying thousands, like five to $9,000 for CT scans. And the state of Pennsylvania is just tossing groups of peaches into CT scanners. I was a little annoyed. I can understand that. I, I mean, I also kind of see a bigger picture to this that those research facilities have paid for those devices and they have staff that are paid to use them and whether they're scanning peaches for science or people for health reasons, there's actually legitimate reasons to do both. And I'm also guessing that um, part of the cost of a CT scan is the machine actually taking the picture but in addition, it's the time of the radiologist who's reading the results. And I'm guessing there is not a trained radiologist that like looks at organs of people for cancer and things like that that are looking at fruit. I think it's kind of an interesting way to use technology for more than one purpose. Yeah, I can see that. And, and it's not like they're probably telling people, well, I'm sorry, Mr. Smith, we, we can't get you in because Joe's in the back scanning peaches and he's going to be doing that for about two weeks. So we can't get anybody in to get a scan. Right. I, I don't know where these peaches are being scanned. Well, well yeah, the, the peaches are being scanned in a CT scanner, but where the CT scanner physically is that is scanning the peaches, I don't know, is in Pennsylvania. I'm guessing. But I think they were freezing the peaches and then ripening them. Trying to see what freezing damage does. Right, yeah. There's a whole bunch of peach experiments to see if having the outdoor weather, how it affects peach quality. I don't know. I just, I felt a little badly for a couple of people who are posting on TikTok that they were having to pay these huge bills or they couldn't pay these huge bills for their Medical these, care. These are people who, like, I'm looking at one of the TikToks now who is talking about these bills, and her bill was not $400. Her bill was nearly $10,000. Right. It was very, very expensive. And I And she has, like, a stack her. of bills like that. Right. Yeah. That So the juxtaposition of that to peaches being scanned, I can understand some frustration or some outrage related to that. Yeah. She was, she was upset, and I think she was rightly... Rightly so, a little bit upset. I can understand why she would see peaches being scanned and be a little aggravated. Yeah. The the videos of fruits and vegetables being scanned, I totally understand that. And I appreciate that they used fruits and vegetables before they shoved humans inside those machines. But on the other hand, I don't know. 
checking the internal quality of peaches? Eh, I don't know. Have they ever considered just cutting a peach open with a knife? (laughs) It would be a whole lot cheaper and faster. Well, part of the challenge is you can only slice that peach once, whereas you can probably scan it multiple times. Right, but I don't know. Just, I don't know. It must have some similarities to human tissue as well. Yeah. Water density and all of that. Well, that, that's interesting. That, that is a thing that I did not know existed prior to our conversation today. So that's kind of fun. That's part of the reason we have the podcast. Yeah. Peach CT scanning. So here's a real smooth transition. We've talked about <laughs> diarrhea, chayote squash, and MRIs. And so you know what's next. Yep. The government prepping plan. You know, a prepping plan. What, why would anybody need a prepping plan? What are they prepping for? Are they meal prepping? No. Um, as we all know, Hurricane Ian kind of uh, put a little water into uh, Florida into the houses in Florida this week. And it also, Tropical Storm Ian shared its love with North Carolina, South Carolina. It was just a mess. And so I got it into my head that maybe we need to do a little preparation in case of an emergency. So I did. We are now the... Proud owners of a preparation kit in case of an emergency. And this is not a we are crazy prepper people kit. This is just what the government suggests. So you this haven't is dug out a, a, a bomb shelter in your basement. You haven't built a sub level where you've got shelves and shelves of stuff. Exactly. You, you haven't requisitioned an iron hatch with a passcode on it as of yet. Correct. If you go to the website ready.gov, they have a list of things that you should have on hand in case of an emergency. And this is not for a zombie apocalypse. This is for three to five days in case of bad weather. And this is something that we, we've actually experienced ourselves before. We had... Correct. Uh, you know, you're the, the weather expert in the family, but we had some pretty... Straight line winds. Straight line winds come through and like literally just kind of plunked over these huge, huge trees in our neighborhood. Right. Took out power. Everything that was in the fridge had to be gotten rid of because it had spoiled. Power was out for, what, three days? Something like yeah, that? Yeah, we had three days worth of misery. And like all of a sudden, the realization of, huh, we really rely on the internet for a lot of things. We were able to continue to use the internet off of cell towers, um, at least while the batteries on our phone lasted, but that only lasted about a day or so. Right. Yeah, we it, we just needed to have some extra things in our house because I started having this anxiety that we wouldn't be prepared in case of an emergency. And I'm here to tell you that even the things that we now do have in our house, we are not prepared for a disaster like a hurricane. There's no way. But we're more prepared. Like if we would have, uh, I don't know, severe weather, we would be able to 
be in our basement for, you know, eight hours, if we lost power, we would have a couple days worth of gear. Yeah. Stuff like we needed. Today, because of the generosity of your parents, we have a secondhand generator right. um, that's powered by gasoline in our garage so that the in the event of a storm like that, we can run extension cords to the freezers and everything else and not lose food, at least for several days. Yes. So... I went through the ready.gov website and they have a whole list of stuff that they recommend. And I, a lot of the stuff is just common sense stuff that most people already have in their house. Some of the stuff I did order online and it's not that complicated amount of stuff, but so the things that I did order, yeah, this is my question. What, what kind of stuff? made the list or were at the top of the list so the most important thing is water because you need water to survive so they recommend one gallon of water per person per day and that includes your pets so we now have one gallon of water per person per day including our girls our dogs so we now have water for everyone for four days of living it's not a big deal the water they say will last for about two years without expiring. What I'll do, I'll just rotate it out every year. We'll use the water, get new gallons of water. Water at the supermarket, it is expensive. The gallons of water it is almost like $2 a gallon. So Costco has six gallons, six one gallons of water for... I think it was less than $5. So, so Costco like or Sam's. More than half the price. So definitely use a, a Costco, a Sam's, one of those types of yeah. bulk purchase stores right. to get the best deal. And they, have, um, they also have the individual bottles of water, like 32 ounce bottles of water, which you can totally do, but I just preferred the gallons of water because it's easier to store. That's, yeah. that's what we did easy no big deal water was the most important thing that i wanted to get off the list so i did easy to do i'm glad that you picked that water you know staying hydrated is important as they say yeah um the other thing that we did water related is we we got and this is not necessary and it's not even on the ready.gov list but it's something that i wanted to have just in case we needed it in case we lost communication with the, the because we're on city water. If you're on well water, this is even more important. We got a water filtration. It's not a system. It's a water filtration thing. So, water filtration solution. Yeah. Well, the product says it's it's a system. So technically, system is right. Correct. And most people use it when they go backpacking. It's really small. It fits in your backpack and you can use it to filter out impurities and water. And it's made by a company called Sawyer. We use their bug spray. Love the company. It's great. Really easy to use. We're going to test it out probably this weekend just so that we know how to use it and what it's all about. But I just wanted to have it on hand just in case. Um, my brother uses a life straw and he really likes it. I looked at the two and I just decided to get the Sawyer one because it filters out like 
0.0001% more. And with my luck, that 0.0001 will be the 0.001 that kills me because I am that unlucky. So that's what I did. So you, it looks like the way it works is you put water in some kind of little baggie and then there's like a nozzle that twists to the top of it that has the filter and then you squeeze the bag right. to push the water through the yeah, system. It's very, very simple, but it works. People say that it's very, very effective and it works and it filters a ton, a ton, a ton of water and you don't need to buy new filters for it. It says that uh, it's reusable. Uh, yes. The It can be used to clean water from freshwater lakes, rivers, streams, faucets, of course, too. Um, but literally, you can filter stuff anywhere. Correct. That's interesting. I've, I've, I've seen videos online about things like this and like water purification systems and solutions for people who are out in the field or like, you know, Bear Grylls is always talking about survival stuff. It's interesting. Yeah. So, so and we'll, I, we'll be trying that. Yeah. We're going to try it out and you, see. You're going to make me drink some, <laughs> some lake water. Yeah. Some lake water. <laughs> God. Yeah. How did you get cholera? <laughs> Should be interesting. It the, says that and to that point, it says this makes it nearly impossible for microplastics, harmful bacteria, protozoa, or cysts like E. coli, Giardia, Vibrocholera, and Salmonella, which cause cholera and typhoid to pass through. So you're not going to get cholera if you use this correctly. If you forget to put the filter in, you might be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we won't be here next week. <laughs> No, it's very, very safe. Very safe. So that's why I got that one. It's highly recommended and it's easy to use and you can use it over and over and over again. Pretty inexpensive too, like about 30 bucks for yeah. yep. a system that can be reused a lot of times. Right. So the other thing they recommend at ready.gov is obviously food because, you know, you got to eat. You need to have um, food for your pets and food for your yourself. Um, canned food, we are ketogenic. And because I use the ketogenic diet to help keep my epilepsy in check, I have to be very careful. Most people say in a situation where, you know, there's bad weather or you lose power, just chuck your special diet out the window unless you have you know, like Crohn's disease and you would get really sick. I would probably need to stick with the ketogenic diet. So we have we have a mixture of keto food and non-keto food. Michael probably could just, he could mix it up a little bit because he doesn't absolutely have to stick to keto. So he could, he could mix it up. He could eat some, um, we have some dried cereal, we have rice, beans, um, we have jerky, vegetables, nuts, uh, crackers. We do have instant coffee because I like my coffee in the morning. Um, we have peanut butter. What else do we have? 
That's a pretty good set of stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, lo- we, lots of, of proteins to right. keep have, you going. We have tuna fish. We have um, black soybeans because I can have those. Um, and we also have a can opener because <laughs> I read on Reddit of people who had this great stockpile of canned food and no way to open the cans. That, so That would be kind of a problem. Yes. Um, we have a, a mess kit, which means a plate and a fork. It's actually a spork, a plate, a spork, and a cup for both of us. Our mess kit is from uh, Zojirushi, which is a company that we really like. I use their coffee cup. So our our mess kit is in, we each have a bag. It's like a bento type deal. And so they come with three bowls and it's a really nice little kit that we each have. So we have two mess kits and then we... Is that something that we already had or did we get something new? We already had those. Oh, yeah. So a lot of this stuff you might already have in your house and you can just put it aside or you can make a list of the things that you will need. Like if you know bad weather's coming, you can make a list of supplies you will need to gather. And then, so you don't need to actually buy all of the supplies, you can say, okay, in case of an emergency, these are the things I need to put aside. Um, we got a, a camping stove, a portable butane gas stove. This is a stove that you can use inside or outside. It runs on butane fuel and it makes it so that you can cook food in your house because most stoves camping stoves you can't use inside but this one you can you can make simple meals like rice pancakes eggs things like that when you don't have power and you really really want to eat warm food not that complicated but there you go um what else did we get we got radio an emergency radio. This is something we did buy. It came highly recommended because it is a crank radio and a solar radio. And it charges devices. So I can plug my phone into the radio and charge my device from it. Also, it charges, the radio itself will charge from the sun. And I tested it out and it does work. Like I can put it in the sun, the radio charges from the sun. It also has a flashlight on it. It's a really nice little radio. I like it a lot. It's Having, got all kinds of goodies in it. It has, you said, mentioned electronic crank. It has an SOS emergency flashlight. It has an ultrasonic dog whistle. Did you try that? Yeah, I tried it, but our girls didn't react to it, so... I don't know. I I mean, maybe our girls aren't sensitive to dog whistles. I don't know. Maybe rescue dogs are trained to respond (laughs) to them. And our girls are just like, do you hear that sound? I know. It's really annoying. I I don't know what it is. I don't know. I have no idea. You also got some things for illumination. Flashlights and lights and candles and things like that. Besides the flashlight inside the radio i got two camping lanterns which also have flashlights in the bottom 
that are solar powered. I'm telling you, I love these little lanterns. They are the best. They power by being cranked from the bottom. So if you don't have power to plug them in to charge them, you can put them in the sun and they will charge up. And charging them is so easy. You just put them in a window and the sun charges them right up. It's so great. And they are so bright. So bright. It's really, really nice. And having a flashlight that you don't have to think about, oh, did I charge it? Did I plug it in? And when you don't have electricity, just charging it in the sun. How convenient is that? Why have we never owned these before? And it looks like once it's fully charged, depending on what level of brightness, because it has multiple levels of brightness, it can last anywhere from four to 40 hours in the light mode, like in the lantern mode and in the flashlight mode, it can last between eight and 35 hours for lighting. So it, depending on how much brightness you need, it can actually last a very long time. Right. And if you just, whenever you use it at night during the day, you just keep charging it in the sun, just keep putting it in a window, you will never have to think about, oh, do I have a flashlight at night? Because it's always fully charged. It's the greatest thing ever. I love those little things. In fact, I'm going to give a couple of them as gifts at Christmas time this year. So amazing. We also got some candles because even though I'm kind of nervous about having candles around, when there's no electricity, it was recommended to get these candles. So I did. And these are, I didn't know that they made such a thing, but these are dripless and smokeless. Yes, they're scent free, which is very important in our house because we usually don't have candles at all in our house. They're dripless, smokeless candles and each candle burns eight hours. So they're, they're essentially mer- emergency candles. So we have those. Um, and then some things that we did not buy, but will be on the list to put in the bin when there might be a storm coming or when we know that we might need to assemble the bin for, you know, whatever emergency might be happening. First aid supplies. We have a first aid kit with some basic stuff in it. Band-aids. We're pretty well stocked on that front. Yes. Just general medications like Tylenol, ibuprofen, aspirin, just basic stuff like that. A basic toolkit. We both have a basic toolkit. Michael's tools are in the basement. Mine are in the kitchen. But I can just grab my toolkit and put it in there. No big deal. Um wipes both antiseptic wipes alcohol wipes and baby wipes can just put packs in there not a big deal a solar charger and backup batteries we are going to be buying a solar charger and we have battery backups like what are those backup batteries called that we have are they just called battery backups um There's some brand name that they're called, and I can't remember it right now. So we have these batteries that you charge, and then you can charge your devices two or three times from each battery. And we use those when we travel or when we go out and we know we're going to need 
an extra battery. The solar charger, I have to do some more research on. It's kind of like a little solar panel that you put outside and then you can charge different items from the solar panel by using the power of the sun. And that is something that I'm really interested in because I am now obsessed with using solar energy to charge things. Very, very cool. So, yeah, there's that. I'm trying to see if I can find the name of the battery charger that we have so many of, and there are so many that are on the market now. I can't easily find it. It's a specific brand name. I can't remember what it's called, though. There's a lot of different ones out there that are good. Like Anchor has some. I think they're Anchor. I'm pretty sure they are. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. The other things that the ready.gov recommends is that you have footwear and clothing appropriate for the type of weather you're having. When I was watching these videos from the hurricane, I noticed a lot of people walking outside or around their house and they were in flip-flops and it just, it, it made me so nervous, it made me so uncomfortable. And I was just yelling at them through the screen, people, put your boots on, put your wellies on, cover your feet up. It's so dangerous. That's such a good way to get tetanus, to step on something and to die. Put your boots on. (laughs) (laughs) Put your boots on. Do what she says, y'all. So I have a type of boot called Extra Tough, and they're just a, they're a type of rain boot, and I love them. They're fantastic. Michael has a type of boot called Muckmaster, and they are, I don't know. What do you think of those boots, Michael? Those are legit boots. You can stand in up to like, I don't know, two feet of water. You can clomp through mud. Those things cannot be beat. Yeah. They're they're, invincible. They're good boots. And those are rain and snow boots, both. Muckmaster makes a snow boot, but I don't know. He wears them in the snow and he doesn't have any issues with them. Michael also has a Merle Men's Moab ventilator shoe. We got them for him in 2016. And he is so hard on his footwear. Like, I don't know how to describe how hard he is on his shoes. Those shoes have been through... He'll wear those shoes cleaning out the gutters on the roof and he doesn't think anything of it like the shoes will come inside and they're sopping wet covered in dirt and I'll rinse them off and they're totally fine those shoes are the best shoes in the world if you are really hard on your shoes buy a pair of these shoes they're fantastic they're they're really great shoes they really really are Merrill, men's Moab ventilator. They're really great. I, however, like the bogs, either their wellies or their snow boots. I just, I like them. 
They're waterproof and the snow boots are warm. They're easy to wear. They're not fussy. They're just great boots. So if you have bad weather, don't go out in flip-flops. Wear your boots. That's another thing they say. The uh, Correct the com- footwear. The company that um, we used was called Jackery. Oh, yeah, Jackery Bar. That's and right. I'm not sure that they actually make the consumer products anymore. They've kind of expanded into solar generators and other things, but they, um, they're still a very, very good company. I wonder if they sold their line of USB rechargeables to another company, possibly to that anchor company. But yeah, we still have Jackery bars. They're still fantastic. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. They had a pretty casing on it. That's an important factor for battery chargers. We always chose the the brightest colored ones because they're easier to find in the bottom of a bag. I know usually I don't care about the color of things like clothing or whatever. I don't care what color it is. But for the battery backups, I liked the brightest, the orange, the yellow, because if it was in the bottom of my bag and it was bright yellow, I could see it very, very quickly and it was just easier. So there's a tip. Choose the bright ones. You I can use find those it very quickly. a lot when uh, the Pokemon game came out for the mobile phones because uh. it would kill your battery so much. And I also used them when I did uh, shipped deliveries for a summer to learn what that was all about. I was so curious about how that system worked. So I would pack an extra one of those Jackery bars, put them on my pocket, and have it plugged into my phone to be able to keep going. Yeah. Those yeah. are uh, those are really nice. We might have to talk about power generators one of these days. Yeah, if we get a, um, or when we decide on which solar power charger we want, We'll have to discuss that. What an interesting time to be alive. Yeah. So the last thing that ready.gov recommends is that you have all of your paperwork in order. And this is really, really important because a lot of people don't have their personal paperwork. They don't know where it is. And if you don't know where it is now, think about how much you're not going to know where it is if half of your house is underwater or your roof is gone or, you know, just you have 12 feet of snow outside. You're really not going to know where it is then. So before the disaster comes, make sure you know where your birth certificate is, your insurance policy information is, your deed or your lease to your house and your car, your bank information is. If you have animals, make sure you have your pet's licenses and vaccination records and put them in a waterproof bag and put them in your bin where everything else is going. Also, you need to have some cash because if the power goes out, the ATM is not going to be working. Some people say that you should have $1,000 at your house in case of an emergency. If you have a big family, $1,000 might be perfect. If it's just you, 
Maybe you don't feel safe having $1,000 in your house. Maybe $200 is a good number for you. It depends on who you are, where you're living, and how you feel. You might not want to have $400. I don't know. It's up to you. But have a little cash on hand because you're not going to be able to get it out of the bank if there's no power. Maybe consider getting a safe in your house that's waterproof and keeping the money in there. I don't know. Consider what you feel most comfortable with, but make sure you have a little bit of an emergency fund. So if there is an emergency, you have some money so you can get some supplies when the stores reopen, buy food, get the things you need. That makes sense. Just it's good sense to be in order to begin with, with all your paperwork and everything in one spot. Right. Because when there is an emergency and you need to call your insurance company, you know, especially if there isn't any internet, because, you know, when, like when we were in our car accident five, six months ago, the first thing we did is we went online on our insurance company's website and their app. Well, if you don't have internet, you can't get on their app. You can't and Log in. If you don't have power for your phone, then you can't access the picture that you may have taken up. Exactly. You, you, you know, you imagine there's an emergency and pretend your phone is just a brick. You can't use your phone. You have to use all paperwork. So when you're putting things together, just pretend that all you have is the paperwork that you are putting in that box to rely on. So even if you have to write numbers down on a piece of paper, don't write passwords down. That's not going to help you. But, you know, you might have to write some account numbers down. And having that waterproof container is a good tip, too. Yes, they make bags that are waterproof for documents. You can buy those. They're not that expensive. Well, I feel a little bit more prepared. How about you? Yeah, I feel better. Um, the best, the best, uh, the best way to combat anxiety is action. And I had anxiety about emergencies and not being prepared. So I did something about it. Well done. Yep. You know, we're, we're always better organized because of the efforts that you have, whether it be having notes on your task list, which kind of unintentionally connects nicely with this organization theme that we started out with at, at the very beginning. Um, but yeah, you're, you're good at what you do. We'll have to, we'll have to do more productivity prepping, not just for emergencies, but prepping for a lot of other things too. Cause you do that a lot for a variety of things from prepping food to, I don't know, planning for the future world, world domination. Taking over the world. Well, that's another episode of Not Just Rainbows and Unicorns. You can visit us at notjustrainbows.net. There you can listen to this podcast, uh, review notes and links to interesting resources, as well as listen to previous episodes online. We'd welcome your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Until next time, have a great week. Bye-bye. Goodbye.